This is The Bucket List on SEN Plus 1377. Now, this year's Tour de France, there's a lot of bare bums. As the peloton's approaching, they've been mooning the peloton. A uh, cyclist from the uh, Bahrain team decided to take it into his own hands. As he was riding past, he's given one of the bare bums a big slap. Do you think there's a few drinks involved there, or they just oh, actually do look, this off their own back? Yes, I dare say there's a bit of alcohol involved. The question, if you were going to be spanked by an Australian <laughs> athlete, who would you pick, Beefy? One with small hands, I think. But, um, Hannah Mouncey? No, I can't say I would like to be spanked by Hannah Mouncey. I think Sally Fitzgibbons, the right. surfer. She's rather cute. I think she's got small hands. What about yourself, Di? Who are you looking at? Oh, I'd have to say Dermy Burn, and he always looks oh, like he's a bit of fun. Really? Yeah. He's good with his hands as well, Dermy. If you'd like to tell us who you'd pick, give yes. us a call on 1300 23 55 48. Which uh, Australian sports star would you like to have your bum slapped by? Hey, Jonathan, who would you pick? I'd pick Bronte Barrett, the Australian Olympic swimmer. I just think she's gorgeous. She could spank me more than 100 times. Oh, more than 100 times. There you go. Oh, Don't get a, carried away, John. You're a sucker for punishment. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. Good morning. On the bucket list this morning, we're chatting to Dylan Hedges. He competed in the wife carrying competition in Finland. Good morning, Dylan. How did you get into this? In my small town where I grew up, just a local show, and they've just put it on for a bit of a laugh more than anything. And if you won, you'd go to the next stage. Ultimately, if you were good enough and you went to the final round, the sponsors would pay for you to go to Finland, the other side of the world, and compete in the world championship. Unbelievable. So when you tell yeah. people that you're the Australian wife-carrying champion and you've been to Songkajavi to compete in the world wife-carrying championships, what do your friends and family think? The amount of times I've had to explain the situation and the looks I've got every time I've, tried, I've explained it are priceless. What sort of training did you have to do for this? And, and did you have to go find a wife as well? Well, I entered with one, just a friend. doesn't have to be a wife. The only way you can train for it is to carry them around. <laughs> well, just around the streets, stand at the shops. From the pub? Oh, well, yeah, at the pub. If you can get her to get on your back whenever you want, <laughs> you know, just carry around doing your daily uh, chores, you get used to it. When it comes time to do the race, it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you a technical question. Was it Feynman's, piggyback, or Estonian style? Estonian, mate. I'll take you through all three. The piggyback is obviously piggybacking style. The Feynman's is over the shoulder. And Estonian, the female or the partner, has her head between your legs hooked onto your back and wraps her knees around your neck. Your wife would be almost like a backpack, but upside down on your back. Dylan, you've got to do one leg of the race where you're going through the shallow water and her head's submerged in the water. I hope you didn't nearly drown her. It was a lot deeper than I thought. I thought it would be once I jumped in there. Her head was definitely underwater. Ten seconds, long enough to scare them. Obviously, you won the Australian Championships. That's at the Singleton Show, isn't it? The Australian Championships. Yeah. So are they different? I honestly thought the Australian course was harder. Wow. We have a lot more obstacles than they do. In the Australian finals, they had seesaws, tyres on the ground, hurdles where you went under them as well as over. In Finland, you only went over hurdles. In the world championships, the only penalty you get is the amount of time you lose by dropping your wife. Right. She's literally hanging on for her life. Wow. What position did you guys come? Uh, We got ninth in the world. There were 35 couples. Wow. From all various parts of the world that are obviously interested in doing very strange things. 
And which country won, Dylan? It was Estonia. Pretty, I can tell you it, it was, was the Estonians, yes. They won last year as well. Yeah. I think he literally is one of those people that carries his wife everywhere <laughs> he goes. She's a lucky woman, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. I think this year I'm going to be looking for a new partner. Oh. Are you taking it seriously? Yeah. Are you going to try and claim the mental? Well, I'm going to try and go for the win because I don't think yeah. it's impossible, actually, now I've seen it. There's going to be a fair bit of advertisement that's going into it now, so hopefully there's a lot more competitors to it. Now, obviously, representing Australia, is the Australian champion. Do you believe Sanjagavi is not the easiest place to get to either? It's the middle of nowhere. It's yeah. daylight, 22 hours of the day. Because Sanjagavi quite high up. It's quite northerly. And when it's night, it's like dusk. It doesn't actually get dark. You'd be down at the pub and you think, in Australia, okay, probably be about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You look at the time, it could be 10.30, 11 o'clock. You'd just be lost. You'd just be like, the night's getting away. Crazy. Anywhere in the world you go, everyone's always interested to meet Australians. We're lucky like that. Do you have any advice for other novice would-be wife-carrying potential champions? Just make sure your wife trusts you. Because <laughs> when you jump in the water, her first reaction is to jump off. It happened a lot. I've seen a fair few couples, their partner, as soon as they're face under the water, and because you're running... Water would probably go up their nose, mm. in their mouth, and their natural reaction was to try and get up out of the water, resulted in them falling off. The Finns have a lot to answer for. Obviously, they've come up with the heavy metal knitting world championships as well. It's so strange that it's actually younger men that are most competitive in the sport. How do they do this? Knit, they have a certain item of clothing, something they have to knit, do it to a time frame and do it to a heavy metal because they knit quicker sitting down on a stage. That is bizarre. I don't really get that one. <laughs> I don't know anyone under the age of 65 that even knows how to knit. Exactly. Well, Dylan, I wish you well in your quest to become World Wife Carrying <laughs> Championship and flying the flag for Australia. Make us proud, Dylan. Do it for your country. Of course. I'd love to. That's Dylan Hedges, who was in the Wife Carrying Competition recently in Finland on the bucket list. As the world's biggest sports fan, I've come across a lot of sports people with quite funny names. I thought we'd go through the top 10 funniest names in sport. Beefy, what are the top 10 funniest names in sport? I'm going to count down. I'm going to go backwards. Number 10, former NASCAR driver, won over 1,200 races, tragically committed suicide back in 2013. Mr. Dick Trickle. (laughs) Number 9, a man you don't want to sit next to on the bus. English lower league footballer, made his name with Hull and Bradford. Mr. Dean Windass was known to cause a stink in the dressing room. (laughs) Hilarious. Number eight, Seychelles middle distance runner who actually works as a tree surgeon in France. No, he actually does. This was a name I thought got made up for Meet the Fockers. It is Gaylord Silly, the Seychelles middle distance runner. <laughs> okay, what's number seven? Baby? This is the US Olympic volleyballer, the six foot five attacker. Also a dual sport threat because she was a high jumper as well. Would you pay money for this? Destiny Hooker! <laughs> It's definitely your destiny. Number six, American swimmer that won gold at the Sydney Olympics in the 200 metres butterfly. She always pushed herself to breaking point. Gold medalist, Misty Hyman. (laughs) All right, we are talking the most unusual names in sports. Definitely. Okay, number five, she owns a new discreet women's hygiene range. This is the German alpine skier featured at the 2010 Winter Olympics, Fanny Schmeller. That's some funny parents if you're already called Schmeller. (laughs) <laughs> and you call a fatty. Definitely isn't. Okay, this this guy doesn't sit on the bench for too long because this former Swiss defender played all over Europe. He's called Burnt Ass. That's his name. Burnt Ass, yes. That's his actual name. That's his actual name. Swiss defender played for West Brom and Sunderland, I think, in the EPL. Okay, number three. Kobe Bryant's uncle 
it's not Mr. Bryant. This guy never had shorts big enough because he was Mr. Chubby Cox. I've got the basketball card. It's called Chubby Cox. Okay, hopefully this volleyballer never opened her bowels whilst smashing one out because she's from Fukuoka in Japan, this Olympic bronze medal winning volleyball. Yoshi, take a shit Okay, the number one name. Number one name in world sport. This guy never wanted you to chant his name while he was doing the pole vault because it is Korean pole vaulter who competed at the 2004 Olympics in Athens. He is called Kim You Suck. Kim You Suck. Kim You Suck. Does your sporting club or community group need help with fundraising? My Club Shop is your essential fundraising partner. This free service is simple to use and can provide a 12-month-a-year revenue stream. With support from great companies like Samsung and TCL and new features being added daily, this revolutionary platform is a complete game-changer. Did we mention it's all free? All you have to do is log on to myclubshop.com.au to register your interest and one of our friendly team will get in touch straight away. That's myclubshop.com.au. This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. And today, not only being the 50th anniversary of the NASA moon landing, today is also Hot Dog Day. St Kilda today down at Luna Park. It's the Australian Championships. They're actually asking who's going to be 2019's wiener. I thought it was the top dog. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> if you're uh, kicking around Melbourne today and you've got nothing better to do than watch fat blokes eat hot dogs, then get over to St Kilda because it is the Australian Hot Dog Eating Championship. Yeah, pretty keen to see people shove wieners down their throat at a breakneck pace. Listening to the bucket list with Beefy and Diana Simons. It's the bucket list with Diana Simons and Beefy. Today we're speaking to Amon from Mount Borbo. Hello, welcome to the bucket list. Hello, how are you doing? We're good. Now we're going to talk today about Yuki Gasson. What actually is Yuki Gasson? Yeah, so it's a pretty funny name. Basically, Yuki Gasson means snow battle in Japanese, so it's a team based snowball fighting sport. It is so cool that the Japanese come up with a word for snowball fighting. <laughs> That's exactly right. They hold a world championship in Yuki Gassen in Japan. For the first time ever this year, there's going to be an Australian qualifying tournament for the world championships at Mount Borbo. How did you get into it? So I lived in Japan for a few years and I was hanging out with some friends and they were basically asked me to come have a have a play of Yuki Gassen. I had no idea what they were saying because they were speaking in Japanese, but I said sure and went along. I wound up playing this really amazing snowball fighting sport. So it's crazy. It's like a childhood dream coming true. <laughs> so how does that differ from just normal snowball fighting? What makes it an actual sport? Actually has, you know, a lot of rules and it's very strategic, quite a structured sport, combination of dodgeball and capture the flag. It's been kind of explained to me, Amon, that if people understand competitive paintball, you can kind of throw that into the mix, but it's paintball with snowballs. Pretty much, yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, so it's like a condensed area version of paintball, really, and um, you wear safety helmets similar to paintball helmets to protect your face, and then you just go for it. Do you only get 20 snowballs per team? International rules, I believe, are seven versus seven, and oh. you get 90 snowballs oh, 90. per set and three sets per match. 
do you make the snowballs yourself or are they pre-made as a regulation size? Exactly right, yeah. So you get a certain amount of time at the start of the game to make 90 oh. times three snowballs. So it's quite physically tiring. You have this um, special steel snowball making frame and you shovel the snow. <laughs> and as a team, you actually have to really work fast to get enough snowballs made in time within your preparation time. Otherwise, you just go into the battle with not enough snowballs. Oh, jeez. Preparation <laughs> is yeah, king. So quite, the preparation of the game is actually almost as stressful as um, having <laughs> snowballs thrown at your face. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, obviously, the Japanese have uh, taken this to an art form. They've been playing Yuki Gessen for quite a while. What are the other kind of key nations that take part in uh, snowball fighting? From um, Hokkaido in Japan, it's sort of spread around the world. It's um, in the Nordic countries. I think Finland, Norway have um, involvement, Canada, a lot of the places that have a lot of snow. It's really quite special, I think, for um, Australia to get on board. We have a good snow. Yeah, I really hope we can sort of take it to them. But which country do you find are the most passionate? Oh, definitely the Japanese. I mean, <laughs> they have competitions all around their country. To get even to the national level for a Japanese team is much more intense. It's all ex or current softball and baseball players, so they oh. throw like a rocket. They take it really seriously. To hit them, it's like, you know, trying to knock an egg off the top of a box, you know. It's really, really hard. It doesn't hurt when you get a snowball thrown at you, does it? No pain at all. I mean, you're wearing really solid welders-type helmet. If you get hit in the body, you can feel it, just like being hit by a ball playing any old sport when you're a kid. How do you play with non-snowballs in the off-season? What do you use? It's actually really easy. You get some newspaper, you scrunch it up, you throw it inside of a balloon to hold it all together, and then you can have red balloons and white balloons, and then you pretty much play as though they're snowballs, and it, they feel the same, they weigh the same. Wow. Um, they just don't break apart or melt when you throw them. Oh, jeez, we learn stuff so you in... play it on the beach. Beach snowball, how good is that yeah. for Australia? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have any yellow snowballs by any chance? <laughs> no, we do have dingoes up at Mount Borbor, so occasionally there are patches of yellow snow, but we generally don't use those for snowball fighting. No. You wouldn't want one of those in the face? Nah, not at all, especially when I've got to clean the helmets afterwards. I'm excited by the Australian Yuki Gessen Championships. I will be pushing it. And I'm going to get some balloons and I'm going to get some newspaper and start practising with beefy. Throw them around the office, have a crack. Thanks. That's Amon from Mount Borbor talking about Yuki Gessen. <laughs> This is The Bucket List with Beefy and Diana Simons. We have a CEO of the ICC 2020 World Cup that's happening in Australia February next year, Nick Hockley. Nick, good morning. You're just back from the UK. Yes, got back this morning from a fantastic week. Managed to get to the FIFA Women's World Cup final and then the latter stages of the Cricket World Cup in uh, in England. Winning on home soil, I think the England have never won a Cricket World Cup. Seeing the excitement around the country, obviously Lords holds around about 25,000 and getting a ticket was just impossible. So they built this huge live site in Trafalgar Square, which was completely packed. Now, when England won at the, at the end of that Super Over, Trafalgar Square went absolutely nuts. It really reminded me of the, the day back in 2005 when London got awarded the Olympics. I haven't seen any scenes like that since then. Just incredible. Well, really, really brought the country together. I can imagine it would have been so atmospheric and so controversial at the same time. Are the IWC going to fix this mess before the 2020 World Cup? Certainly, I think the Super Over is a, is a great innovation to put, sort out a, a tie. I think what this final has done is got, obviously, lots of people thinking about something that never normally really is, ha, has to be used, and that happens only very, very rarely. So I know that the ICC look into the playing conditions for each of the tournaments, and certainly the fact that this, there was a tie at the end of a Super Over, 
has prompted lots of debate. It'll be very interesting to see how they modify um, the playing conditions, if at all. Yeah, it seems strange after six weeks of cricket that's been fought hard across uh, so many venues and, you know, ten teams going at it. And then, you know, the fact that the final comes down to a tie and, you know, to to have it decided. I know the Kiwis knew what they had to do before the start of the Super Over, but to have it tied at the end of the game and then tied at the end of the Super Over, I think everyone would have felt a lot better if they'd just done another Super Over just to uh, make ends meet. Or just keep going until there was a result instead of countback situation. Everyone knew the rules before the game, so uh, play to the conditions. There was another fantastic sporting occasion going on further down in southwest London, the final of Wimbledon. And interestingly, they've cut back. They used to have it open-ended. So if there was the fifth set, would just go on and on and on until someone got two games clear. But they've obviously, again, that came right down to the wire and they had to kind of call on a, a tie break to determine the fifth set. So they've shortened it. And, uh, and interestingly, there have been quite a few calls to run more more super overs so merits both ways just the drama and the, the unpredictability of sport is just nothing captivates like uh, the unpredictability of sport and see those two occasions coming together almost to the minute was just incredible absolutely unbelievable you've got big plans for the women's 2020 world cup i think the first thing to say is really exciting now that the cricket world cup in england has finished we can officially say that we're the next major global cricket event happening and that's taking place all around australia in february and March next year. Kicks off in Sydney at Sydney Olympic Park when Australia take on India in the opening match and we're planning a big celebration, a big opening celebration to precede that game. Then we play matches across six host cities. The semi-finals are taking place in a double header at the SCG and then the final of the Women's T20 World Cup taking place in the biggest cricket ground in the world, right here in Melbourne, the, the MCG. Thanks so much for your time this morning. No, great to chat. As always. Nick Hockley, he's the Chief Executive Officer of the IWC T20 World Cup 2020 on the bucket list. From one cover travel insurance, here's Isha with a travel tip. Good morning, Isha. Hi, Di. So today my travel tip is something that requires some planning before you go on holiday. So I know everyone has a lot to do before they go away, but if you're going to be spending a lot of time in any one country or city, it's actually really special to read a famous novel that's been set in that place so everyone these days does so much research before they go away like they read guidebooks there's thousands of online resources they ask everyone around them you know where they've been what the best cafes and bars are but there's something about reading a fiction book that's been set in a country or city you're going to that will make it come alive for you in a totally different way so one example is into the wild which is set in alaska and another one is A Movable Feast, which is set in Paris. So I've read, I read A Movable Feast before I went to Paris, and it just made the whole city, I don't know, feel a little bit different for me. So if you make the time before you go, even if you only read half of the book, you'll probably enjoy your holiday just a little bit more and have a sense of curiosity about in, that's completely different. When planning your next holiday, make sure you take out travel insurance from one cover. Call them on 1300 192 021 or onecover.com.au. It's SEN Plus on the bucket list, and this morning we're speaking to Daniel Ciccone from Sportsnet Holidays. We've got the Fed Cup coming up on the 9th and 10th of November in Perth. It's the pinnacle of women's team tennis. It's the final. It's going to be held at RAC Arena, Perth. Right now, Ash Barty is the talk of the town. She'll be leading the charge for Australia. So she's going in with form. Three-night packages, including quality tickets to both days. Start from only $499 per person twin chair. Brilliant. Australia has a 5-1 record against France in February. 
Fed Cup ties were a big chance and Perth's a stunning city. So much to see and do off the amazing beaches, Scarborough. How does the format actually work, Daniel? Five matches. There'll be four singles matches, one doubles match. It's a best of five. First to win three matches gets crowned Fed Cup champion. I'm positive that Ash Barty will play, so everyone will get the chance to see the world number one. Hopefully she, she retains that ranking between now and then. Uh, Samantha Stoza as well, and potentially Daria Gavrilova and Priscilla Hon. Our captain is Alicia Molly. It's a really great team. In, in the semis against Belarus, only Barty and Stoza played. Barty won both her singles. Stoza lost both her singles, but thankfully uh, they won their doubles. Why would you book the Fed Cup final through Sportsnet holidays? We're an official licensed tour operator for Tennis Australia, have been for 20 years. Everything is official. The event, it's in such high demand. We'll sell out and we have great tickets. Most of our hotels are within walking distance of RAC Arena. As part of your ticket, you get transfers to and from, which is fantastic. We include a, a, an exclusive Ultimate Perth walking tour, exclusive to our clients, exclusive for sports at Travellers, and it's the best of Perth. Several thousands of people travel with us on a tennis package each year. The convenience factor, the value for money, and we personalise the experience with Sportsnet for our guests from start to finish. If you are going to the Fed Cup final, you need to book through Sportsnet Holidays. Sportsnetholidays.com. Call them on 1300 888858. That's 1300 888858 or sportsnetholidays.com.